Before we start the show, if you want more stock talking, check out my newsletter at tinyletter.com slash bbrostoff or visit postcoronastocks.com. You can find me on Twitter at at BMB21. Now, on to the show. Welcome to Stock Talking, an exploration of financial markets in the context of the post-corona world. COVID-19 has changed the way we value equity, debt, and business as a whole. My goal is to find great companies who can thrive in the new normal. I can't wait to get started. All right, welcome to another episode of Stock Talking. It is June 22nd. I recorded my last pod on June 7th, so coming off a pretty long layoff, you know, summer hours are in effect. But we have the impervious back, Sean Bush in the house. Welcome to the show again. How you doing? Like a boomerang, I, I keep coming back. And the market keeps coming back too. Um, just when you thought it was safe to say we're going back down, another leg down under 300, the market has surged. And we are now back to NASDAQ all-time highs as I record this at SPY at 310. Let's update the leaderboard a bit. Uh, for our listeners who don't know, on May 1st, we made a bet. You chose QQQ, the NASDAQ 100, and I chose BRKB, Berkshire Class B. We bet 100 bucks on who would outperform. You are up 16%. I am down 1.4%. Uh, meanwhile, the market is up about 10%. So congrats on continuing to have an enormous lead. I still remain confident in the Oracle and I believe Warren Buffett will lead me back to victory. Um, I think he's going to really respond to Dave Portnoy's recent criticisms, uh, comparing him to Michael Jordan on the Wizards. So I think that's going to rile uh, Warren Buffett up. What do you think? I think that's going to get him. The Q's NASDAQ looks unstoppable. There's absolutely no, no weakness in that chart. So no surprises there. But, I mean, I'm sure that there's going to be a little wind beneath the sails of, of Berkshire um, as you know, a lot of the market seems to be rising, but uh, I guess it's kind of a good thing that we haven't had the opportunity to uh, chop it up here in, in a couple of weeks because trading's been, been uh, a little difficult. And for the most part, I feel like just hanging on the sidelines till directions picked out has been the play because we keep getting sort of mixed signals as far as what the near-term destination is for, for the market. So to just rewind a little bit, um, I think the, the, the current sort of trend goes back to a couple Thursdays ago where there's a big gap down and big sell-off uh, last Thursday where um, gap down from that island around 320 to uh, actually dipping below 300 briefly. And then the following week on Monday, we have a big green reversal candle and we're back in sort of the 308 to 312 up to 314 range, which that's where we've been for the last week and a half. And despite indications that we're going to go lower, like uh, last Friday, which was OPEX, specifically quad witching, which for those of you who don't know, that's the date on which stock index futures, stock index options, stock options, and single stock futures expire simultaneously. Uh, so there's a lot of, of action that day. Um, that's really sort of the result of, of paperwork more so than just uh, trading and, and momentum moves. So it's not uncommon for weird things to happen. And so with options, Last Friday, we saw a big gap up, lots buying. This was uh, SPY, uh, the S&P 500 main ETF dividend day. Uh, so to get that dividend, you had to own 
uh, spy going into um, that that Friday. And so there was pretty much selling after that that gap up with a big red candle coming after hours, which is very intriguing because with that big sell-off, you have the making of a pretty distinct bearish reversal candle, uh, which took out the highs early in the day from the previous trading session and closed below. So all indications coming into this week that we'd be trading down, but uh, for the second week in a row, we have futures open red and then trade up green throughout the night. And today we end up officially uh, two points on the S&P 500, um, or SPY rather, so that'd be 200 points on the S&P 500, or 20 points rather. Um, and a pretty interesting day in the sense that it was very low volume. The trading of options was way down. And despite this low volume, uh, the sellers just didn't show up uh, at any point, really, to, to any significant dis degree, despite the conviction last week. So all indications for the near term are that we are going up. But uh, another piece of information, a fairly new indicator, a lot of traders have been looking at the dark pool index, or DIX, uh, which sort of indicates the ratio of short to long interest in dark pool orders, which are orders that happen outside of the regular exchanges. And this is done to sort of uh, delay the reporting of a sale, uh, which allows a lot of deals to go down and only be reported later so that you can sort of uh, front run either a drop or a big rally uh, without affecting the stock price uh, once it gets going. But on Friday, uh, the weekend ended at 51.5, which is one of the highest ratings uh, recently, which means that there was a lot of bullish interest going into the weekend despite the close, surprisingly. Um, so you could say it was a big dicks. But today we dipped down to 46.5, indicating a mostly bearish sentiment. So when that ratio dips below 45, that's usually a pretty good indicator. You got a red day coming up, but especially when it goes from uh, way over 50 to significantly under 50, tends to uh, indicate that there is a potential for a large drop coming out. This is something that I and all the Will Meads and other twits of the world have been hyping and preparing for and have probably lost their pants um, uh, getting into to shorts for, for this market. But um, at least right now, you need to see that indication that something's going down. So for the time being, looking at the charts, the channel is still up. There's nothing at this point to indicate that it's going down other than uh, just a general seemingly bearish sentiment among traders and pretty bullish technicals looking at the charts. Yeah, I had not heard about that dark pool index. So that's kind of interesting. The one thing I wanted to add to what you were saying in terms of technicals, my buddy just sent me an interesting article from Bloomberg. Uh, so it begins, as we move into month end, SPX futures are the biggest net short in nine years, according to Bloomberg's CFTC data. So the market consensus, again, is that we're headed down, which you know, heading into contrarian corner, the contrarian in me says, it's going up. Uh, that's where the money is. The smart money seems to be going down. So again, the short squeeze is something you could possibly bet on. Um, I mean, it feels similar to the sentiment in March. Um, and I know obviously the market's in a totally different place, but same type of uh, negative news headlines, same type of fears about coronavirus, same types of very, very perma bearish, uh, uber bearish predictions. So yeah, I, uh, I find it hard to be on the side of where everyone else is. This was kind of the point of my last post on postcoronastocks.com. Uh, there's a lot of mo money in cash. There's a lot of money in um, 
money market funds sitting on the sidelines. So, I, I mean, part of me thinks that the sellers um, who would take the market down have already sold. And you can't, you can't sell once you've already sold unless you want a short stock, which is, you know, some people are doing that. But it's a precarious position. You know, the, if you've been short the market, you've got burned the last couple of months. Yeah, and so the, the tough thing, too, is that with news that the Fed's going to start buying ETFs, uh, and they've already announced they're going to start buying bonds, um, it's, it's pretty much assumed and known that any big sell-off is going to be met by heavy buying from the Fed. So to hold out for a significant drop like uh, back in February and March is, is probably a little naive. Uh, but at the same time, it's... it's uh, well, all-time highs seem like the destination, medium to long term, certainly going into the election. Um, there, there are several obstacles, like we've talked about, that are now coming up closer, which would be second quarter earnings, um, which I think will paint, at least from a fundamental standpoint, a pretty bleak picture. But to your point, really nothing has changed in terms of the news cycle or any other events that would uh, be a catalyst for a major leg down. Um, the, the market still seems to be shaking off most negative news. You see occasional dips as increased COVID numbers are reported, but short of uh, a lockdown or quarantine type situation, um, the numbers really aren't going to sway the market to, to any significant degree. And I think we've got also a few pieces of good news as far as the market's concerned to look forward to like an additional stimulus bill that uh, Trump was teasing today, which will have an additional stimulus check. And I can definitely see a major pop on that. Um, but it doesn't seem likely that we'll be really breaking out of this range anytime soon. Really, I see the S&P 500 potentially trading between uh, 3,200 and 3,000 for the foreseeable future. You know, there, there's a lot of stocks that have pushed past all-time highs, but, you know, there's a lot of weakness all around as well. I mean, financials looking pretty weak. Um, energy sort of making a turnaround here, but Chips and tech um, are absolutely booming. Microsoft getting over 200 today. Uh, and Apple also really carrying the market with their WWDC. Um, you know, they're going to continue to get bought, but there's going to continue to be probably more consolidation instead of rotation in the market. And just uh, a few of those really big names in COVID defensives, um, while some other industries like airlines, where unfortunately the market should probably let bad actors just fail, are going to get uh, bailed out with basically infinite credit and we'll find a way to come back to life. But who knows, especially with cruise industries, not having, you know, a clear timeline, even though they've announced that cruises are being pushed back to September, you know, that's still, you know, subject to change and far enough away that we really don't know what's going to happen between now and then. And they effectively have no revenue. So trading on that stock is purely speculative. So there's nothing to, to indicate that you know, cruise and travel can't also hit all-time highs right now with nothing actually changing if there is enough interest. But uh, there's more likely just going to be a, a lot of choppiness. Um, VIX was pretty much murdered today, dipping below 35 or down to 35, down 10%. So it seems like they're trying to grind things to a halt and we'll just probably be trading in a pretty narrow channel for the foreseeable future, um, both up and down. Gotcha. I did want to key on to some terms you used and also steal some of your thunder and read some of the show notes you sent ahead of time because I think they support a specific trade you hinted at, which is the, I'm going to call this the COVID defense trade. It's the trade that led the market in March and April, which was long mega cap tech, long biopharma, and then relatively short some of the cyclicals and travel names. So 
you write, uh, you wrote to me uh, in sell-off looking for weakness in travel, American Airlines, who announced a new stock offering, JetBlue, and then on the cruise line side, Carnival Cruise Lines, um, delaying cruises, hemorrhaging money, accurate. Um, you had Delta as one of the names you wanted to short also. And then rotation to biotech last week, sector more resilient to COVID news, Moderna, Vertex, Gilead, and a couple others. So do you think it's accurate to say that you think that trade is coming back, long tech, long biopharma, short cyclicals? If we're talking very near term, uh, absolutely. I think uh, right now, definitely my favorite plays are in uh, tech and biopharma. And I'm not trying to dip in, trying to catch a falling knife with uh, some of the, the travel trades. But if you just look at how things went today, I mean, like I mentioned, there was a big day for Apple, saw a lot of activity as well, call activity, bullish call activity for NVIDIA. And the chip stocks uh, had a great day. Um, I, I said it's been tough to trade, but uh, with several of these days where it looks like it's going up, you can find a nice uh, red to green scalp uh, stock that opened down below um, its, its opening range and then comes up with authority. And AMD was one of those plays as well. Same with uh, service now two stocks that have been especially strong uh, when having uh, an initial sell-off but not enough to to break out of that opening range so with those guys I also I called out uh, Moderna looks like a, a good play as well as Vertex um, and one I'm specifically looking at in tech would be Facebook um, they made an announcement today uh, that they are collaborating with Microsoft Mixer or something about online games. I don't know. I was working, so I didn't. I just saw the headlines there. But um, it was flirting with 240, which is my number. I see a big breakout above, potentially all the way up to 245. Um, but saw a few big red candles after it touched that. So it really looks like it could go either way. And the tough thing about all these trades is that the intraday momentum when you're looking for a setup or en uh, entry really depends on where the market is because they will sell off and uh, show weakness if the market's selling off um, despite some, some pretty good uh, movement leading up to that point. So um, especially with some of these stocks that have a big run, you really don't want to be buying the rally. I think buying the dip is still a valid strategy and until proven wrong, uh, always look to at least, you know, average into a position um, at a low, but the trade's probably over by the time you've gotten to it with something like uh, Facebook or something trading on news today. Uh, so if, if this trend continues with the market just generally going up, these, these plays are going to continue to melt up. Um, again, Apple with an all-time high, uh, there'll probably be some profit taking there. Um, but there's so many adjacent plays. I also like AMD, like I mentioned before, uh, is one to watch. And saw a lot of activity for CRM, Salesforce, knocking on 200, where um, that's definitely got some room to run. Just to throw out some more names here, Roku looking to bounce above 130. It's had quite a bit of run-up, but definitely um, shows the opportunity to, to pop on pretty short notice. But um, Outside of tech, those biotech plays are generally um, very news dependent. So you can look for a big pop on updates as far as trials for their drugs or um, sort of positive results there. Uh, but they also dump pretty quickly too. And there's uh, a good likelihood if you get in at the top, you're going to get burned pretty hard with some of those. So um, look, look for something like Moderna, which I think is sitting around 65 now. If it dips below tomorrow and it doesn't look like the, the market's selling off, that looks like that could be a good short-term play. Um, so for the time being, you know, the safe, the safe area, the, the, the NASDAQ again shows no signs of weakness. So anytime there is a dip, like we saw with Apple on Friday, I think that's where you want to go in, um, to have at least some, some degree of, of certainty in the near term and, and risk aversion. 
you had another trade here that really caught my eye, and I think it falls into that category of flight to safety that we're seeing with tech. So you have gold and silver, strong close for gold Friday, breaking out of extended cup and handle formation. Risk-off situation this week could propel it much higher. Completely agree. Gold, you're only going to hear positive things from me. I mean, I've had 10% of my portfolio in gold for a couple of years now, and you really only feel thankful for it in situations like COVID. I mean, it's kind of trucked along. It's performed even well in a, in a bull market. So uh, got to love gold. I, I think the, the defensiveness there is going to be attractive to a lot of people. I'd much rather own it than bonds or some other assets that would be considered flight to safety. So talk a little bit about gold and also silver, which I, I'm not as high on silver as you are because I, I don't like the volatility and don't think it's a good proxy um, for flight to safety. But yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on those two names. Yeah, so I did have a, a, a short-term silver play. Both silver and gold popped over the weekend, so a nice opportunity to uh, make a trade on on some weeklies with some usually kind of slow-moving and not super volatile plays with commodities. But um, I guess when we think about commodities, like you mentioned, sort of a a flight safety or or a risk off, meaning taking money out of equities uh, and putting it elsewhere in anticipation of a drop or in a sell-off. Um, but this is more kind of a, a technical play um, with with that other component. With gold, it's been trading in pretty much the same range. If you look at the GLD ticker, uh, it's basically bouncing around between 163 and 164. Uh, the target price for me was 165 for a breakout. It closed right at that number today. Um, so just like the rest of the market, it's indicating one one way, but closing right on that number. If there is a huge rally and a huge risk on situation to equities, then it could easily sink back down to sort of that same range it's been trading in or even lower um, after a, a big um, bounce back in April and May. But if we do actually see something resembling a sell-off in, I think even just taking uh, the S&P 500 to a test of 3,000, and especially if it fails around there, um, that could really be the push that, that gold needs to, to break up on the GLD ticker, definitely up to the, the 170 range. Um, and so it's just a good play to, to be, be a little more uh, limited in your risk here. It's not as volatile as... Um, some of these trendier plays and tech plays uh, will be. So it's, it's easier to sort of find your entry and exit with gold. And it just seems like this is an opportunity for it to have some major upward velocity. Uh, and if not, it's still worth holding on to for the near and future term that trade's not failed if it doesn't just break up uh, within the next couple of days or a week, assuming that you've got you know, a contract you're looking out maybe in the August timeframe. Yeah, as, as you're talking about it, I was just thinking, we're talking about mega cap tech. Uh, we're talking about gold, but we're not talking about Ethereum or Bitcoin or crypto in general. I think you know my feelings on crypto. I'm not the biggest crypto fan, but I'm wondering if you've heard anything about crypto, if people think that's a good trade right now, because you would think if tech and gold are going to rally, crypto would be right behind it, because all three of those assets seem to be, at least in popular opinion, very fairly correlated. I'm not sure if mathematically that's actually true, but have you heard anything about crypto? Uh, so... Directly, not not really. Um, and part of the issue had been Bitcoin specifically in, in crypto at large had just been tracking the overall markets. Uh, we've seen some degree of decoupling since the halvening and, and touching around 10K and then selling off huge. But honestly, right now, Bitcoin shows quite a bit of weakness. So if you're not already trading cryptos uh, and sort of familiar with some of the support and resistance levels and some of the patterns, I don't think that 
um, that represents as attractive of a, a risk off um, uh, alternative there. And what you really need to see is that decoupling from, from the market between at least Bitcoin and the S&P 500 or SPY, where on a drop for the market overall, you do see a large move in Bitcoin itself also sees sort of a, uh, if not equal, at least opposite reaction um, in going up in value quite the same way you'd see with something like TLT or treasury notes. And until that time, it's really just the same thing as any of the other uh, equities that are traded on the market. So right now I don't see a lot, I, I don't have a lot of additional interest in, in putting a larger position into Bitcoin. Um, still watching it and it's still a nice kind of indicator, not really, uh, to see at least market sentiment over the weekend or between trading hours. But um, since touching 10,000, it doesn't look like it's really primed to do anything but but go lower from, from where it's at. And I haven't really checked the price in the, the last couple hours. Good to hear. I, I have no desire to own it, nor do I have any desire to own any Chinese stocks. But you do have that uh, there are tons of flow into smaller China stocks. Uh, we've, we can't get through a single episode on this podcast without talking about the China trade. So wondering if you have any updates here. Obviously, price action seems to be indicating that uh, the market is bullish on small cap China. Is this accurate? Yeah, there, I, I, it's hard to tell if that's just an overall bullishness or based on the fact that a lot of these stocks tend to be extremely volatile and present a great uh, day trade or short term uh, momentum trade opportunity. Um, but some of those smaller names like uh, TME, Tencent Music, um, Neo is one uh, electric car company that's been on an absolute tear up over basically 100% in the last month, um, as well as you know the occasional flows for PDD, JD, and in Baba. And so I don't think there's to me a an obvious at least macro reason for that as much as I think that if there is bullishness in the Chinese market um, and there is not the same sentiment, at least on Wall Street, that represents an opportunity to still have uh, some some uh, opportunity for upward movement with a lot of indecision going on locally. Um, so obviously there's the fact that some of the near-term worst-case scenarios still haven't panned out. It seems like trade deal wants to get done in, in a meaningful way or that trade is more important than escalation of rhetoric and, and everything else. Um, so it's in both the U.S. and China's best interest to, to have trade and everything operate as normally. So I don't see any immediate catalyst getting in the way of that. And some of the markets uh, like FXI had been you know, pretty suppressed. So uh, I think there's maybe not with Baba or JD, but elsewhere some value plays to be found um, just with some stocks that are down and out and still can't get over the insane short squeeze on GSX, uh, doing nothing and, and basically doubling in price despite, you know, increasingly more damning, uh, short seller reports. But, you know, that is, I guess the danger of uh, a stock with a heavy amount of short interest is that things can go, go wrong, uh, very quickly, but the overall sentiment hasn't changed in terms of there's nothing to indicate the business is legitimate, but I don't think that, Actually, maybe a good time now to short it in terms of, you know, the price has just run up so much from, from where I originally entered a position looking for it to be investigated, potentially delisted. Um, but the tough thing trading China stocks is you really don't have a good sense of what news could move it or have things work quite the same way as following Twitter here or a IMO, my stock price is too high tweet 
you know, can instantly be seen on the ticker. Um, there's just sort of that disconnect with China stocks. So um, if they're running, there's a momentum play, you can usually pile in and end up pretty good. But uh, also, if you just don't really have any idea where the movement's going that day, then you're probably not going to figure it out by watching that ticker. Yeah, the stocks you mentioned, I mean, Neo made me think of this, but I think they are consistent with the trend we're seeing in the market that's baffling a lot of people, which is absurd price action on either heavily negative news or no news at all. I mean, the ones that come to mind, which are all over the popular media, would be, I mean, Hertz, I think you got to throw Tesla in there. I think you got to throw Nikola in there. I mean, we're just seeing massive rallies. And in the case of Nikola, it doesn't even have a product. Uh, there's there's nothing to get excited about for years. They don't even have a price point that's attractive. So I don't know, man. I, I, I think the market's confusing a lot of people right now. And we've talked about this in the podcast a bunch, but price action really is all that matters. But I think right now, a lot of people are, are grasping for a narrative or trying to find any reason We've seen this insane run up in some of these really small cap stocks that don't have products, don't have news. Um, I mean, other than supply and demands where clearly the demand is outstripping the supply, there's, there's no real way to explain what's happening right now. I don't know. Do you have, do you have any thoughts on this? I mean, still the, at least the conventional explanation is the influx of retail investors. And you can see just the number of pump and dumps and stocks that our boy David Day Trader are promoting that end up uh, hitting it big, like Urban One Clothing, uh, which went viral. Um, and that stock pumped huge and then just dumped afterwards once the, the rally. So this is kind of reminiscent of you know the early crypto days and a lot of these altcoins uh, that didn't really have any basis, but just going into an IPO, just being a coin, you know, was able to generate a lot of demand. So there's a heightened interest in a lot of different stocks and different plays. So there is money coming in. I mean, we're seeing overnight repo sort of uh, be the, the faucet shut off a little bit. I believe there was no overnight repo, at least last night. Um, not that that can't come back. And obviously the Fed has plenty of monetary uh, tools in the tool belt to bring it back. Um, but you know, what it comes down to is that there's still that disconnect between the fundamentals and the current, um, stock valuations. And so without any kind of price discovery, the price can go up, the price can go down. Um, but there doesn't seem to be a, a consensus as far as, you know, what a right, the right multiple is or should be, um, in stocks that have been on a crazy run up, continue to have a crazy run up. And I don't think that them returning to a more reasonable, uh, upward trend is necessarily on on the verge of happening, um, but we're basically in a situation where, with you know rates at zero, not going to be going up at all, um, and there's going to be you know bond yield curve correction for you economists and, and whatever that means. You know the short term view is that you know there it can continue to go up, but also that takes for granted that any number of things could potentially uh, cause the house of cards to, to collapse with all the speculative buying, such as rates going up at all, which they basically can't, or, you know, anything happening with the, the treasuries, if anything goes south, the U S China trade deal. And you know, that, that the, the U S dollar is weakened significantly. Um, you know, these are all factors that could uh, affect a crash and there's no you know reason to think that this is, 
imminent or going to happen. But when you try and have a reasonable thesis on what the upside is or what the price target is, because we've seen a lot of ridiculous price targets thrown out for things like Tesla and just any other meme stock that people are into, um, you know, th- this is sort of a, a more, more official pump and dump scheme with like GNS and whoever else, these rating agencies really pumping up the stock. Um, without you know having a strong sort of fundamental basis there so they can continue to go up but we also don't really know you know if you are in that trade unless you've got you know your own technicals there uh where you know the the exit would be or when to know you know if you're sort of the last man in and going to be the bag holder so you know things go up and things go down and on a day-to-day basis you can sort of form a picture um but there's still you know, a lot of different um, omens lurking there. And so, yeah, yeah, a single explanation for why it's going on the way it is. I mean, based on how there isn't really any consensus as far as bullishness or bearishness, um, and the consensus always seems to be on the wrong side. I think that's generally a sentiment shared by a lot of traders. That's why, you know, at least traders, maybe not hedge fund managers or or major financial players, but at least traders um, are are waiting for some more clear sort of direction before really jumping in or taking large positions. Yeah, I don't think it's going away. Like, I think when I look at and listen to different podcasts and read articles, there's clearly a lot of frustration with what's happening in the market, especially from value investors. And I tend to lean more towards value. I, I like reading. Uh, value investors take on stuff and they're clearly frustrated, right? They don't understand what's going on, but I, I don't see this trend ending. Um, it's interesting. You, you keep hearing that, you know, when the NBA season comes back or when sports comes back, all these retail day day traders are going to leave the market, but uh, there's no evidence to suggest that, right? I mean, to, to think that people would just stop trading and the Robin hood trade or whatever trade you want to call it goes away that's as absurd as thinking that it was caused by Robin Hood or David Day Trader, who knows in the first place. There's no evidence to support that either. So I don't know. I think the market is always changing, right? It's a living, breathing organism. And as a trader, psychologically, like it, it doesn't behoove you, it doesn't benefit you to be frustrated uh, with the way things are going. So I don't know. Uh, it reminds me a lot of, of, you know, we're both daily fantasy sports players who hear people say, you know, the pricing's too soft this week. Uh, you know, the, the pricing makes no sense. There's only one obvious lineup. Um, it's going to be chalky. You know, at the end of the day, you got you to gotta put capital in unless you think cash is better. So it's on you as a trader to, to figure out what your strategy is going to be and work with the existing conditions. Yeah, and to your point about retail traders there and, and when or if they will go away, uh, you know, as long as they're making money, a uh, trading hurts or, or Nicola or, or whatever else, trading DraftKings, which has you know, been on a tear. Uh, they're going to continue trading and there's going to continue to be more of them, but it's, it's not like sports is going to get them out of it. It's you know, having their plays lose and losing all their money that's going to get them out of it, which I guess that would be gambling for them anyways. And you know, a lot of traders really, it, it is gambling. So I, it's probably good for the market having just sort of senseless, mindless trading going on. And I would imagine the overall capital isn't significant, but enough to move the needle and affect a sort of uh, direction. You know, a lot of people want to say it's uh, the market makers and the algos, but, you know, there are several different players uh, moving things around. So I think that the retail investors can't be discounted. Um, but there's, you know, the issue is the more they pile in, um, the more inflated stock prices become and sort of the less their buying power is, is worth. And so there's uh, the issue of, the more they pile in, the more they're successful, the hotter the market gets and the more sort of uh, overbought 
a lot of these positions become and they'll inevitably sell off. There just becomes a price, you know, even if it's just psychological where something, you know, has, has become uh, high enough that plenty of the early entrants are, are willing to sell off. And as soon as these traders see a, tra- a sell off, they're going to want to get out of their position because uh, they don't really have a plan of, of when they're going to get out. So for right now, yeah, there's no reason to think that they, this trend isn't going to continue growing. People are going to keep doing that. But I think that, you know, if, if, uh, not when, but if, you know, a major drop happens, you know, this is what's happened in the past and in basically 2000s, 08, 09, um, you know, that'll really shake out a lot of the casual traders. But with some of the um, perceived manipulation going on and just uh, insistence for the market to continue trading up overnight um, and, you know, buyers always just sort of taking control when they need to. Um, it's for the most part an environment that I think for seasoned traders are having a hard time finding, you know, real meaning, but for people just sort of jumping into whatever stock they see on Twitter, you know, opportunity to, to see some green or the green mode on their, their Robinhood app. And, you know, that's enough to keep them in it. But, you know, there's, there's going to be a day of reckoning and, you know, it could be this week, could be a month from now. Um, but that's sort of the risk is, you know, seeing a lot of those traders shaking out in a bad way. Yeah, I mean, it's it could be any number of events. I've what comes to mind for me. I've been reading this interesting book called Thinking in Systems by Danello Meadows. Shout out to that book in the podcast. I'm I'm really enjoying it. Uh, but one of the things this book talks about is a lot of information systems. There's this lag um, in the effects, and all you see is a snapshot in time. You have, there's discussion of stocks, which are not literally stocks, but the quantity of specific things. And then there are flows, which are inflows and outflows of stuff. And sometimes, you know, flows have a, a very delayed effect on the stock. Um, so I think that could certainly be the case here. Um, your price action may uh, far lag what's actually happening to the, the fundamentals or the reverse may also be true. I mean, we'll see. But my, my point here is I think the day of reckoning could be months away. It could be years away. Um, but all I can tell you is that like, it's never going to totally line up with what the snapshot is in time. We definitely have seen this with some of the names we've traded like Oxy and FXI and GSX, right? Like there's the price action has nothing to do with the facts on the ground. Um, and as long as some, someone's willing to buy it uh, at the current price, price isn't going to move, right? It's everything. Everything is the last trade. So mark to market is like a difficult concept to wrap your head around. It's interesting to compare a highly liquid asset like a stock with something like a house or something where it's not like your house gets marked every single day. Um, and I think psychologically it has an impact on people. And I think you're seeing a lot of value investors go on tilt for lack of a better word. There's just heavy, heavy frustration and people like not wanting to trade at all because uh, they think prices are too inflated. I think, it's, I think honestly, it's going to keep a lot of people out of the market simply because they're too afraid to make a trade. I don't know how that plays out, but I feel like everyone I talk to who trades the markets on a regular basis just doesn't want to be long right now. Well, one thing to keep in mind there is that with, with a lot of the money on the sidelines, uh, you know, these are the players with deep enough pockets to really sort of affect moves in the market. And so the logical thing for them is to want there to be a discount on prices so that they can get in at a reasonable level uh, and get some decent return on their investment. So at least from a, a P&L standpoint, you know, for those who, if this is, you know, possible, but those who have the power to, to, you know, really take prices down to a, a major buy level uh, so they can accumulate at that position and just be able to sell it back to the day day traders, um, 
once the fear of that sell-off is gone and the rally is at the point where we're where we're at now so the cycle sort of needs to repeat for those guys to be able to maximize their margins so it's it's not that everyone has a vested interest in everything always going up and only continuing to go up you know that that type of correction uh does allow you know some of the uh more monolithic players in the game uh to rig their their hand in their favor and then once they have that position it's definitely you know in their benefit to go up but you know philosophically there there's just a lot of problems with the unchecked gains or getting to all-time highs you know assuming that the current status quo economically uh doesn't change because it's almost like the market right now is like just eating candy all the time you know it tastes good and whatever but after you eat candy for a while you just you feel terrible and you get fat and it, you realize like you need to eat real food that might not, you know, be as, as fun tasting, but it, it makes you survive better. And so with the market like this, there's, you know, everything's being fed by credit and, you know, massive amounts of unemployment with, you know, checks being handed out and everything. There's just not the same incentive to start a new company, come up with an innovative idea and be one of these new um, trendy startup type companies that ends up hiring a bunch of people and growing and scaling and being great. Um, and so those are really the things that create jobs, not, you know, Microsoft continuing to you know, push up behind a past 200. Sure, they employ a lot of people, but in the general sense of, of keeping things moving forward versus you know, concentrating everything and just the blue chips, you know, there, there really has to be a, a different way to keep the market propped up and moving forward than the way it is now. And I don't have a solution for that. Obviously, reopening is, is going to help in everything. But you know, according to Jerome Powell, keeping prices of, of stocks high is what's going to get employment higher. I don't know about that. Um, but sort of having that mindset does seem very dangerous, you know, looking out for, you know, what this means for the future of our country. Um, you know, so this this is not sustainable. That's not to say it can't go on for much longer than you think it could. But, you know, there are some very fundamental flaws with the way we're going. So, you know, you're, it, it loses and does not pay to be bearish all the time. In fact, it's probably harder shorting than just being long all the time. So, you know, that's, that's a losing proposition. But also being aware that this is just not sustainable should at least help you have a clear head about, you know, when it makes sense to, to enter and exit your trades instead of just always FOMOing into anything that's that's hot at the moment yeah absolutely i mean i'll i'll leave our listeners with this which is something i've been thinking about i finished this book maverick by ricardo semler uh who ran a multinational in brazil for you know throughout the 70s 80s 90s and brazil's economy far more volatile than the united states went through a lot more recessions than we've ever seen and one thing he writes about a lot in that book is there were frequent stock bull markets throughout recessions. And then there were bear markets through actual hyper-economic growth. So the market is always going to operate separately from fundamentals. It's forward-looking. And sometimes it's not even related to what's happening on the ground. Sometimes it's totally speculation. So I've been thinking a ton about we could see a massive rebound off the bottom. You could see a vaccine. You could see people go back to work. And we could still see the stock market, you know, decline below 300. We could have a bear market in 2021 when things are back to normal. So, I mean, I think as a trader, you have to always consider this probability stream that's different from the consensus. Um, the consensus is if things get back to normal, you're going to see the stock market go higher. Well, we're already close to all-time highs. So, I mean, I think these things have to be considered. Um, and as you always say, it's the price action that matters. It's not the fundamentals. Anyways. I'll leave you with that. I mean, do you have any closing words for our listeners? 
just to tie up that that nice little uh, denouement that you delivered the audience there, I, I heard an expression that uh, in bull markets the the sense or or general feeling is of of worry, whereas in bear markets the the feeling is of hope. So I think there does seem to be quite a bit of worry, which I guess you know from the the feeling meter here seems to be consistent with with that bullish sentiment. But uh, you know, trade with your heart and trade with love, and and the price will show you the way. Love that. There, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. All right, buddy. As always, pleasure to have you on, and we will talk to you next week. Till next time, happy trading. Thanks for listening. To hear more episodes of Stock Talking and read a blog with my latest trade recommendations, market commentary, and more, visit postcoronastocks.com.